Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tas Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Stephanie Brown. She's a construction technology advisor at Intelligent Construction Opportunities. Stephanie, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Fantastic. I I really appreciate uh, the invite. I think, uh, you know, we have a lot of good exchanges to make today. Absolutely. So your specialty, your background is on the technology side of construction. Were you always sort of in and around technology and construction, or is that a bit more recent? I would say that's more recent. I come from a family in construction. And so for sentimental reasons, I would say when uh, the opportunity arose probably close to four years ago to get back involved in construction directly, and by that inter connecting and aligning with my previous work experience in technology training, it's kind of brought me to this, which is the creation of my own company, Intelligent Construction Opportunities. Yeah. So you said sentimental. Walk me through sentimental, like the the family growing up, you around it or? All right. All right. So on both sides, immigrants, but uh, on my mother's side, her father came from Sicily in the early part of last century and came off the boat holding a rope, thinking that when he got and he landed, he was going to have to find a donkey and certainly need to tie it up. Fast forward to his realization of Toronto and, and what needed to be put in in the way of infrastructure. He specialized in sewer and water mains and became uh, one of Canada's largest sewer and water main contractors certainly was responsible for putting a lot of what's under the city here in Toronto, as well as across the country. You know, he went on to get his due and his accolades within his community and certainly within the construction industry. He he bought over many, many people from Sicily and his little village, Pagino, where he's from. And all to say that culminated in in his success and um, his charity. He uh, was recognized by the Pope and was knighted by the Pope for his charitable works. So for me, it's kind of been inspiring. And and on my other side of my family, Jewish background, and they were in, in steel, in utilizing older steel and, you know, and I believe repurposing it. I know a little less about that, but, you know, on that side, they had their own steel manufacturing facility and refurbishing of steel. So all in all, that's the sentimentality. It's just knowing that I come from, you know, entrepreneurs and builders in their own way that are responsible for infrastructure and I believe why we have what we do now today, and that, that obviously, you know, I mean, it's evolved into BIM and all those kinds of things, but it had to start there. We used to be involved in the water and wastewater side on the coding side of the business, but entrepreneurship is hard enough. But, you know, trying to succeed in water and wastewater is, I think, another level. What did you learn from your dad growing up? 
I learned from my own, my own father wasn't as successful in business and he kind yeah. of branched off because he wanted to be the captain of his own ship too. So he went into actually, well, in, in Yiddish terms, they would call it the Shmata business, but it was basically repurposing again, rags and, and materials. So Burlington Mills, for example, he did business with them. They were one of his clients. I just come basically from an entrepreneurial background and wherever you turned, that was what you did. His father, he was involved in, in, in the steel business a little bit, but then branched off into his own area. And the grandfather on the other side was construction and sewer and water mains through and through. Yeah. So where are the opportunities when it comes to technology and construction? Well, that's why I sort of touched on BIM a little bit, because I think and I see BIM and I see Revit and I see areas of technology now being able to have to double back on those infrastructures and go and see what's still good and what needs to be ripped up and torn up and and, you know, using newer materials and what have you to, you know, restore and, and rejuvenate those I'll call them initial infrastructures. So technology to me is just learning to have its day in these areas where infrastructure, you know, whether they're bridges or whatever it is, where it can be applied to be able to show people where the repairs need to be made or where they have to start from scratch again. Yeah. So let's just go through different categories. Like let's say, let's call it company size, like contractors. So what sort of technologies, you know, stacks are useful to smaller, let's say contractors, medium and large, where does that all fit in? Because not every technology is applicable to every category or company size. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, I find my clients needing to solve I'll say top priority. So, for example, resource planning. Resource planning, you know, Bridget is is well known in in, in workforce planning. It was started here, I believe, uh, initially out of Kitchener, and that's where their founders are from. And there are certainly great aspects of that workforce planning. But I had a particular client that was looking for uh, a schedule, being able to change their schedule on the fly, running many projects at all at once and, you know, needing to take certain resources off a job one day and making sure that locally or regionally speaking, they were available to be plopped onto another job. So I went out and, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, went way across the pond and found a resource called Savium. And a terrific resource planning uh, tool. But more than that, I felt that they were very prepared in the areas that I vet all the time, which is to make sure that there's a trial and there's some sort of a hand-holding to go through that trial and that sandbox, that uh, there are strict onboarding one-on-ones with a live person for a specific amount of time and not being handed just, you know, videos to onboard people, for example. So anyway, in workforce planning, and then, you know, there, there's other uh, tools out there that can just be project related and they're great. But again, I tend to find companies, smaller contractors looking to solve, like, for example, 
you know, moving from QuickBooks to some version of Sage, for for example. I find the smaller contractor running a more tight ship in terms of the, you know, the project management tools that they want to use. So, you know, again, they stay away from the pro cores and they stay away from the auto desks because they don't need all that. And as a matter of fact, when it comes to small contractors, it depends how evolved they are. But I will look at, you know, anything from smart sheets to Google Sheets. It depends on how much they're trying to keep track of and how many people are on their team and how many, you know, projects they're running at one time. Yeah. How do you assess? Because obviously there, there's a point where some of the the details and stuff are not effective to track. Like, how do you kind of identify, are, are people sort of under tracking or do you occasionally run into people that are just maybe doing too many things? They're doing too many things. And, and, we, and what, what I do right away is I try and isolate the top three problems that they're having. But first of all, we have to determine why do you think automating something is going to change the outcome, right? We really have to get down and dirty and, and just really honest about why do you think tech's going to fix it? You know, I've got one buddy in, in tech and, you know, he said, so help me, you give me an app that's got more than four clicks. I'm not using it because obviously it's not the core work that they do. And often it's a tradesperson that has to do the heavy lifting to apply the app to get the data that the contractor thinks he needs and may not even know how to use, consume, and apply down the road. So I kind of was a bit prepared for your question. And I actually have, that's, I've got a technology selection system that basically takes one through five major steps to streamline the technology selection. So we start by assessing requirements. And by that, I mean, of course, requirements gathering. So as I said, that's like taking a really hard look at why do you think an app's going to fix that? You know, <laughs> why, why should an app fix that? So we, we really want to peel back you know, what's going on? Is it a communication problem between the site and the back office? Is it document management problems? You can't ever, you know, find the, the newest version of a revision. You know, what exactly is happening? You know, we really want to isolate those things. And so that's when I talk about requirements gathering. So I'd say, why are you looking? What do you want this automation for? What's it supposed to improve? Who's going to use this system? Who do you think is going to use it? And are they ready to onboard with this potential change in the impacts that it's going to make? Because taking on an app implies that you're changing your work process. You just are. And again, if your core work is to hang sheetrock or install electrical boxes or whatever it is, that physical implementation of whatever it is you're building or restoring the app has to then go into that workflow yeah i have to ask though because you know i i've been in a situation where i've looked for technology and the, the person that i was dealing with you know helped me realize that it wasn't a technology issue and i you know we just needed or i needed just to have a conversation with the partner i mean how, when you go through your process how often is it not a technology issue I would say maybe maybe 10% of the time 
I think um, particularly when you're talking about smaller contractors, they're still trying to figure out how to evolve their company. So they actually don't have basic document management systems in place, which, you know, uh, there's a big difference between throwing everything on a SharePoint portal versus having a document management program that can actually absorb, you know, those digitized documents relevant to a construction job. So I would I would say I I haven't found that it's been very high, but of course you're gonna you're gonna hit it. That's why you've got to address it right out of the box. Absolutely. Is there a few other steps you want to cover in in your process? Sure. So again, so we start with assessing and, and requirements gathering, and that's again a deeper dive based on the business model, but uh, that can then you know provoke other questions. But you certainly want to know, you know, at least how many people are on staff. You want to know how many are you working with self-performing people on, that are on your payroll versus are these you know all contractors? It matters. It really, really matters because. Apps are designed from a perspective, and generally it can be a perspective of a contractor, it can be from the perspective of an estimator, but it's from somebody's particular role and the way that those software developers perceive that role doing their work. So you can't, and I did run into it with one. I, I I I thought this one particular client was looking for something that was really borderline back office, but actually some site purview. So I bought a site guide to you know a site a site application to the table, and within ten minutes I was like, uh oh, wrong track. He's asking questions that are not relevant to the field. So again, it's done from the job role. So step one, assessing requirements. Step two is uh, researching those tech options once you isolate all those requirements gathering questions, those basic, basic things. And in between that, you want to establish strategic goals. Like again, so if we do understand and agree that we're automating something, and yes, you could help with some document control, for example. We want to make sure we're building in goals as we go through this process so that by the end of it, obviously, we're going to realize those goals. So researching tech options, step two. Step three, our vendor interviews. Now, what I do in this with intelligent construction opportunities is I do all the heavy lifting. I'm trying to take this whole idea of vetting and screening and interviewing and demoing, or at least pre-demoing. There is a stage where I only do the pre-demos and they have to show me, you know, what they do out of the box. And then what I'm doing after that pre-demo is getting them to customize that demo based on what I've isolated at the top of, or the first step being in my, my requirements gathering, my assessing. So that by the time they come, step four, when we're shortlisting, and and redemoing that client or of mine is potentially seeing the workflow of sure. that tool in alignment with how they currently are doing their workflow or want 
to do their workflow. Sure, the absolutely, to, to, to help optimize because the people are busy. Now, one of the, the views I, I really appreciate when we had our original chat was more on getting involved some nonprofit activities or help, you know, helping the uh, industry activities around the trades. And mm-hmm. you said something along the lines of, and I, I want you to elaborate, but you said something along the lines of, there's a lot of people that are talking about improving the trades and, and attracting people opposed to doing something about it. So walk me through that, because that that stood out, because you, you actually uh, uh, do things in that direction. Yes. Well, and that's also why I'm involved uh, with uh, the entity Bring Back the Trades, because I believe technology is a piece of the answer. But if I don't really get in there and start jostling with the pain of the shortages and start to, my favorite word, riff, riff on potential remedies for it, I'm not serving my business and I'm not serving I'm not serving the larger construction community. So when I talk about talking, you have to come up with practical applications for making this go away. I mean, without getting into detail, we had a meeting this morning and just by knowing that there's certain shortages in specific trades, just by having venues Whatever those venues are, in our case, they're trade exhibitions where we actually have vendors show the public what it is that they do in the trades starts to beat the bushes for people to understand, oh, well, maybe this should be something that my cousin who is unemployed right now, maybe they should look into getting into the trades because this is something he already does naturally or she does naturally and she might be interested. So what we're trying to do is actively, obviously bring it out there by telling people about it and whatever, but by actively putting on events and workshops that allows all these disparate individuals within the network to connect and find their way in. And that's why when I said, you know, talk, you can't keep talking. You you got to kind of put your stake in the ground and say, okay, I think we could do this. And in, in the case of myself with, with, with Steve uh, Turner from Bring Back the Trades, you know, he basically, he, he, well, he personally loathes talking. That's a whole other thing, but he's all about doing. And he basically had this idea literally in within two hours of having the idea, he called me and said, okay, we're doing this. And we're doing, and here's a date, and it was eight weeks away. And we literally put on a live exhibition with over 20 vendors, complete with dunk tank, food trucks, food, the whole DJ, and uh, First Robotics was there and doing a demo with the kids. We had some kids there from Dover High School doing their robot thing and bought a whole community together all exposed to the public so that they could see all these trade vendors sweating pipes and gave the, the, the public a chance to sure. you know, sweat pipe, et cetera. Now that you've, I'm guessing that you're doing a few of these, right? Yeah, there's already, there's already uh, almost four on the books. Uh, four on the books. And it, I mean, you're, you're a technology, you know, documentation type of person. Are you documenting this process that you're going through so it could be shared and replicated by others? Like how, how are you approaching a scalability? 
Well, scalability, we is exactly what we're doing right now is scaling it. But, you know, we're also, he, uh, he, well, Bring Back to Trades has already invested in a, a trailer and we are going state to state. Well, again, you know, we, we've got interest from all over the country. So that ink isn't dry yet, but we're working on it. So the first place will probably be New York which will be, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, still still isolated to, isolated to the Northeast where it is. And uh, Bring Back the Trades is not yet in Canada. So absolutely, you know, partnering with us, you, you know, we we blueprint this and, and make this happen. How much of the heavy lifting is actually that is will actually be done in each territory is determined on the partnership level that we have. But I can tell you that we already made matches for for our inaugural one, and um, I was blown away that that we, with a very mighty little team, pulled this off, and it was just a complete success. There was just there. I mean, I'm not saying there's not always room for improvement and, and little things, but overall, the goal was realized. There were five vendors that got employees that day. And a bunch of others we don't even know. You know, obviously, someone listening to this that want, wants to get involved—that's one way to actually do something about it, and, and you know, align and benefit. Other things that are kind of stepping stones towards that. And, you know, maybe they they can't go all in. They want to make some improvements. What sort of things have you heard that have been sort of action oriented, results oriented that people can do right off the uh, the back? Well, I, I think what, you know, the first thing we have to do, kind of all of us, is to foster this idea that, you know, we need architects and engineers to go to four-year programs to learn how to design and get ready the plans for structure, but we have to stop thinking that the people that actually do the builds are any less intellectually capable than the engineers and the architects and dare I say the developers who know how to wrangle with the bankers and government money so and we have to stop we just have to stop it because it's like from time immemorial I mean you needed tradespeople to do the implementation no matter how cool or how mathematically capable perhaps other areas of that build were, but that carpenter still has to be every bit as much astute in how he or she implements those plans done by those engineers and those architects. So we have to all decide that it's not an either or, it's an and. Mm -hmm. And it always has been an and, except that I think for the last 30, 40 years, parents have believed that that if a kid graduates from high school and doesn't go to university or college, that they are somewhat at a deficit. It's neither right for society nor for their pocketbook because of the cost of education. Yeah. And how much of that is a marketing, positioning, lobbying component versus, you know, uh, improvement and and adding to what's there? Like what what is the main action that needs to happen? Is it a big marketing push or is it like a combination of improving and and stuff like that? 
I think it's everyone's responsibility. If you have, if you have a roof over your head, that when you do LinkedIn posts or you do Facebook posts, I mean, social media is the voice of the day or the platform for the voice of the day. I think that when you put out your stuff, if you are in anywhere in these fields, including manufacturing, I think you need to be able to impart that value and include that message. It doesn't have to be the direct message, but it has to be the indirect message because at the end of the day, we are all in sales. Sales has become a dirty word. That's a whole other story, and I won't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I have very strong opinions about that. But we are all in sales, and uh, there's nobody on LinkedIn, generally speaking, that's putting out a post because they're not looking for some sort of reciprocity in some way, directly, monetarily, or indirectly. You know, I mean, yes, okay, I don't know, depending on how big people's egos are, followers <laughs> only go so far. You know what I mean? And it's easy to hit a button and and, and smash a thumbs up button. But um, where's the depth? Where's the value? And what does that look like? Like, you can smash all the thumbs up buttons you want on any you name, name the, the platform. But what does that do to any of us directly, indirectly, or as a society five and 10 years from now? Sure. Perfect. Is there anything that I did not cover that you wanted to chat about? I looked at some of your questions and uh, I don't. Uh, hmm. I like the one about what common mistakes entrepreneurs and marketers make. Yeah. Tell me about that. I, I like that question. I like it too, Tats. I really like it. And I'll tell you why, because I do think that some of us do a poor job of not understanding what it is that that we market for, mm. that we own and want to grow. We're not holistic enough in our thinking to know that, for example, marketing, you can go and get a marketing degree and you can understand how social media works and you can understand how to do those, I'll say those functional things of being a marketer. But if you don't have the context for what it is you're marketing, you're regurgitating marketing speak without then providing the value. Again, mm -hmm. it all comes back to value. You've got to keep drawing in the value of the thing that you're marketing for, the thing that you're selling. What is the value of the thing that you're selling. It's not enough to, you know, okay, I did, I don't know, I'm just going to use my old school, you know, the barometers of cold calling, you know, how many, how many cold calls did you make? How many emails did you send? Instead of understanding that it's better to have three or four very solid value and I don't, I hate value proposition because I mean, who knows if they want to be propositioned, but if you have value in the thing that you're trying to talk about, it should just, it should be story enough, if you know what I mean. You don't, mm. you shouldn't have to, to prove it because somebody reads it, somebody consumes it, and then they decide, is that something they want? Or they wouldn't even bother reading because it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter how great the value was it's just not something that's of interest to them. I mean, how many emails do we all get that some source sad sack sends us, you know, 
blindly <laughs> just because you know you were able to say, "Oh, I had fifteen hundred people on a list." Yeah, it's it okay. sounds like it's a combination of permission based um, marketing approach with a deep understanding of people's challenges and and the value you can bring to them. So. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, if, if you always begin with the value of trying to make, first of all, having the, cur- I wouldn't even say it's common courtesy. If you have the common courtesy to realize, okay, I'm going to, I want to impart value, for example, about intelligent construction opportunities and, and, and what I do, which is evaluate technology on behalf of construction professionals. If I want to impart value, just impart the value. The audience, as long as I haven't, you know, sent this out to, I don't know, banana dealers, people that are completely not interested in what this is, that would be my bad, right? But as long as you 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 have a narrow field and you're just talking about how the value of somebody else doing this on your behalf is then going to allow you to go and do your other priorities, securely knowing that oh, I could have an application or a system that would help me and somebody else can do the heavy lifting. I don't want to have to talk to vendors and go through all these demos and blah, 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 blah. Not for everybody. But again, if the value is there, the individuals will make the decision. Now, ah, this is of interest to me or this is not. We've got a, somebody here that'll do that for me or whatever. Yeah. Sounds good. Those are fundamental things. Stephanie, well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story and I appreciate you coming on. And I really appreciate the opportunity, Tats, and I hope that uh, we stay in touch in the future. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.